Welcome to the Voice Over Work podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services. This is Wednesday, January 19th, 2021. On the podcast today, we'll take a little deeper look into a book introduced in a previous podcast with a chapter-by-chapter look at Mathematical Thinking for people who hate math, level up your analytical and creative thinking skills, excel at problem solving and decision making. Strategic Thinking Skills, Book 3, written by Albert Rutherford, narrated by Russell Newton. Chapter 1. Why Learn Mathematical Thinking? To say that equations are the heart and soul of math It's like saying that a baker is someone with a lot of recipes, but a library full of cookbooks does not make one a good chef. It's only once someone has proven they can implement such recipes, they are viewed as successful. From there, the more recipes they learn, the more of an authority they'll be seen to be. Yet no matter how many basic foods they make, they will only be considered a real expert once they've mastered the hardest dishes. Accomplishing these top-tier challenges shows they not only know how to repeat and memorize, but that they understand the elements in a way that can be applied to other recipes and contexts. Once you've mastered a baked Alaska, you can make almost any dessert. Because you haven't just learned how to make a frivolous, over-the-top creation of cake and ice cream, in the process, you've learned the foundations of meringue making, cake baking, the finesse of frosting, and the precision of a blowtorch. Maybe if you went all out, you even learn how to churn a mean Neapolitan ice cream from scratch. The recipe is just a formula, which can be written down, looked up, and followed when the rare occasion strikes that one needs a fanciful sweet. It's a resource. Whereas the real value comes from the lessons learned by getting your hands dirty, cracking the eggs, and beating the batter, that hands-on practice is what makes you a better and more intuitive baker. After all, a recipe is only good for knowing how to make baked Alaska one particular way. If you wanted to spice it up or make something else, this step-by-step method won't be very helpful. It's the techniques you pick up along the way that will be transferable to other projects. Chapter 2. Precision Math is a language. Just like any dialect, It allows us to shape ideas and abstract thoughts into a form that can be read and understood. Unlike other languages, however, it is universal, used in every country in the world. Although it's not spoken and looks much different on the page than what we understand as words, it has many of the same elements. In math, equations comprise expressions, which are like phrases or incomplete sentences. These segments are part of a larger idea but lack a beginning or end. An expression could be just a number or variable, or it could be a group of values and operations, such as 2 plus 2, or 5 times 3 minus 4. Expressions can be short, containing only one or two numerals, or long, and can be combined to create larger ideas. However, they do not become a sentence until they're punctuated, usually with an equal sign but sometimes with a less than, more than, or unequal sign. These two parts of a sentence, what we know of as the equation and answer, 
can also be thought of as an assumption and a conclusion. For example, 2 plus 2 is an assumption, while equals 4 is a verifiable conclusion of that expression. Whereas in other languages a sentence can have many goals, the goal of a sentence in math is always to answer a question. Its purpose is to make a statement about the expressions, which comes down to whether it makes logical sense or not. To create a sentence, one must know or prove whether the theories posed in the expressions are true or false. If a sentence is proven true, it's considered closed. The only way a sentence can exist without being true or false. Chapter 3. Specializing, Generalizing, Convincing, and Conjecturing Despite what you may think, even the best mathematicians don't always know the answer to an equation immediately. Just like an accomplished writer will occasionally stumble on a vocabulary word they're unfamiliar with, or get tripped up by a comma splice or other grammatical error, those who are highly knowledgeable about the language of math won't be able to get it right every time on the first try. Like any skill, growing masterful at math is about practice, trial, and error. The more you mess up, the more you'll learn and get better, and the more likely you'll be to get it right next time. This can be frustrating and time-consuming as a process, as anyone who's tried to master a skill will know, but it is worthwhile in the end. When you make a mistake or fail, you're not just knocking off another option and narrowing down the choices for a correct solution. You're also putting your learning into practice by testing and using elements of the problem in new ways. The more you test yourself using examples, the more you will remember, solidify, understand, and connect with the solution, and more importantly, the process for finding the answer. Specializing Imagine heading into a store on Black Friday, clutching a stack of flyers, coupons, and a firm belief in sticking to your budget and not getting out of hand, like last year. You head to the tech section on the hunt to buy a new laptop that's originally $1,000, but is now 30% off. That's straightforward enough. But you also must factor in taxes and fees, which are another 10%. You stare at the percentages, unsure of where to start. Should you calculate the tax first or the discount? Chapter 4. Mathematical Thinking and Its Companions Mathematical thinking involves many types of cognitive processes, such as analyzing, synthesizing, and thinking critically about things. Synthetic and Analytical Thinking Analytical thinking is defined as having the ability to think in careful and perceptive ways to solve problems, analyze data, and remember and utilize information. Analytical thinking skills are, simply put, problem-solving skills. They are characteristics and abilities that allow you to approach problems in a logical, rational manner to sort out the best solutions. When we analyze something, we break that bigger thing into smaller, digestible pieces and, one by one, assess or analyze them. When we break apart the different elements involved in a situation, it's easy to lose sight of how these parts interact with one another and within the situation. This is how we end up in analysis paralysis. When the interactions aren't as visible, our insight is also reduced. 
The thinking tool we use to make sense of interactions and how things work together is synthesis. Synthesis is more than simply putting something back together after you've taken it apart for an investigation. If analytical thinking helps us understand the different parts of a situation, then synthetic thinking allows us to understand how these parts work together. Another example of the differences between analytical and synthetic thinking is if analytical thinking helps break things down to their basic components, synthetic thinking allows to find patterns across those components. Essentially, analytical thinking will help you pinpoint... Chapter 5. Focus and Diffuse When sitting down to write a book, I follow the same basic process. Research, outline, write. Before bringing my thoughts to the table, I first ensure I understand the existing information and assess and create my own interpretations of it. From there comes the writing, which, if I've done my due diligence, will be straightforward enough, but not always easy. When the going is good, and I get into a state of flow or dive wholeheartedly into research, I turn on the metaphorical light switch in my brain, throwing it into a highly attentive state. Using this focused mode of thinking, I can dedicate myself to the task at hand, soaking in information like a sponge, yet despite my planning and research efforts, I sometimes will stare at a page and don't know what to write. My creative well runs dry, and I've come up against the dreaded writer's block. In these moments, I've learned that the best tactic is to close the document and walk away. This allows my mind a respite in which it can switch to resting state networks, subconsciously working through the problem in the background of my mind as I go about other tasks. This resting or diffused thinking bounces the idea around in my mind until at some point, as I brush my teeth, wash the dishes, or go for a walk, I stumble upon an aha moment, and the path forward becomes clear. Everything clicks into place, and I rush back to my computer and turn on the switch in my mind that brings me back to focused mode. We used focused and diffused thinking, often without realizing, for learning and getting better at almost... Chapter 6. Linearity and Nonlinearity we are primed to follow linear reasoning. We're doing it every day. A simple example of linearity would be when we go into a supermarket being hungry. One sandwich sounds okay, but buying three is a better plan. Each time we think something is good to have, and having more of it is even better, we're thinking in linear terms. Why is linear reasoning so popular when a short reflection shows its wrongness? We fail to assess that everything in excess reaches saturation. In economics, there is a term for this phenomenon, diminishing marginal utility. This law states that all else equal, as consumption increases, the marginal utility derived from each additional unit declines. Marginal utility is the incremental increase in utility that results from the consumption of one additional unit. The utility is an economic term used to represent satisfaction or happiness. 
For example, the first sandwich will feel great when you introduce it to your famished body. But will the third or even the second give you equal satisfaction? Unlikely. Two Principles of Linearity Linearity obeys certain rules. If we have two or more inputs at a point in time, the final output will result from adding all the inputs. I would like to introduce you to the principle of additivity and homogeneity. The additivity principle states that we can add the output of two things together, and the combined outcome will be the addition of the output. Chapter 7. Probability and Risk Playing the lottery is a global phenomenon, but do you know its origins? Back in the day when Italy wasn't even Italy, just a collection of city-states, Genoa, one of the city-states, had a rather peculiar practice when seasonally electing its governatori. Every six months in the petty council, the 120 members would write their names on a piece of paper, and two would be drawn by chance to fulfill the governor position. Soon, the city gamblers would make bets on the elections. As time passed, these bets were worth more money. Eventually, the gamblers realized that they don't need an election to bet on pieces of paper. Before long, Genoa ran its lottery system with people betting on five numbers. The more correct guesses, the higher the prize. This isn't too far away from our lottery system today. Thanks to the Genovese gamblers, from Shanghai to Paris, from Moscow to Cape Town, the presence of lotteries is pervasive. Stupidity tax, as some may call it. There's something very attractive about winning millions of dollars for the purchase of a single ticket, but let's see how mathematically sound playing on the lottery is. Lottery and gambling are a mixture of probability and risk. The less probable something is, the higher the risk you will lose, but the reward is also higher, which is why so many people engage in this little guilty pleasure. Lottery tickets are fairly cheap. This further increases their appeal. And if you buy two tickets, oh my, you doubled your chances to win those millions. Or have you? How would a simply structured lottery game look in the realm of mathematics? Chapter 8. Test Your Mathematical Might Repetition and recalling are powerful learning tools. Tests utilize both to deepen your knowledge. I know, most of you detest being put on the spot and think that tests only make your life miserable. Think again. When you're under pressure, your mind concentrates on a new level. Try to remember how much material you retain after an hour of rigorous study. Now, how well do you remember the questions and your answers on a test? If you're like most people, you'll recall and retain much more information from the test. I can still recall that at my high school history finals, I've been asked why the Ottoman Empire couldn't conquer Vienna in the 1600s. I happened to revise this information the night before. Sheer luck. So I wowed my teachers by stating that Vienna was outside of the action radius of the Ottoman army. They could replenish food and military resources fast enough to overthrow the not-ignorable Habsburg forces. I'll never forget what action radius is, 
because it has been reinforced in a testing environment. I don't remember anything else from the night before the test I spent studying. So, if you hate tests, I'm here to challenge your sentiments. My goal is not to turn you into a test junkie, but to share tips that could benefit and push you to get through the ordeal with more ease, thus making this invaluable practice more attractive. How to deal with test anxiety? Let's tackle this question first. So, many people dread tests because when the time comes to prove their knowledge, their mind goes blank. They knew the material before and will know after. This has been Mathematical Thinking for People Who Hate Math. Level up your analytical and creative thinking skills, excel at problem solving and decision making. Strategic Thinking Skills, Book 3. Written by Albert Rutherford, narrated by Russell Newton. Copyright 2021 by Albert Rutherford. Production copyright by Albert Rutherford. Please be sure to visit Amazon.com or Audible.com for more information on this book and the author. Show notes and further information can be found at RussellEricNewton.com. With an eclectic collection of insights, knowledge, and trivia from some of the newest audiobooks on the market, this has been the Voice Overwork podcast brought to you by Newton Media Group, a family of creative services.